0: the only consistent is change and that the only way to get good at it is to stop denying it when it's here and to welcome it and ride it and see what happens and even and this is the part that i commit my life to um praise it like to actually to actually make beauty and meaning in the midst of change that's the hardest and, and I think the most important
1: part. Welcome to the Morning Ritual Podcast, meditations and conversations to set the tone for your day. I'm your host, Lily Balch. Today, I'll be sharing with you a conversation that I had with artist and ritualist, Day Shiltke. We talk about the power of creativity, the importance of process over product, and the reality of impermanence. Over the course of our lives, every single one of us has changed. From my conversation with Day, I learned just how important it is for our change to be witnessed, to be seen. And at the end of the episode, Day shares three tangible tips to managing change, big or small. And before we dive in, I want to remind you of the Morning Rituals June gathering. And this month, I'll be joined by my personal business coach, and CEO of Perform With Purpose, Ariel Naftali. And as you can probably guess, our theme for this month's gathering is purpose. Ariel will share key insights that will allow you to not only discover your purpose, but do the work that you're really meant for. The June gathering will be held on Wednesday, June 21st at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Simply register using the link in the show notes below, and I look forward to seeing you there now to my conversation with Day. Welcome to the podcast, Day.
0: I'm happy to be here.
1: I'm happy you're here. And teeny bit of backstory on my end, which I think is just so cool, is when I first started this podcast, The Morning Ritual, one of my dear friends gifted me your book, Morning Altars, as just like a bit of inspiration to um, for my podcast. And this was now three years ago, and now you're on the podcast, which is just so cool. So that's how I, that's how I know Day. Day, could you give us a little backstory on Morning Altars?
0: Sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just, you know, books are funny. They travel in the world. So I'm so happy one landed in your hands. Um. Yeah, my backstory is not in a million years would my parents have thought that this would have been my career, but here we are. And there's something about... <laughs> um a calling like there's some truth to a career calling you or maybe that's even like too benign for me this one like grabbed me I didn't really even have a choice um it just took me and I remember saying yes to it um I was in the middle of I've had other careers I was a director and on and off Broadway I was the executive director of a high school for teens and then this career just grabbed me um it was a few months after my father died and i went through this like massive relationship breakup and the thing that i was doing to stay sane at the time and to try and like actually like not be overcome by my sorrow and grief was like actually taking my dog on a walk and going into the the park near my house and sitting under this one tree and just like collecting things I found along the way. Like it was very simple. It was just like collecting leaves and berries and, and feathers and, you know, in a basket. And we would just sit under this tree and I would just make something beautiful and symmetrical. And my heart was like healing from that experience. Uh, and something significant was happening there just from like the simplest thing, you know? And um, and then it became like an international movement <laughs> from me just sitting under a tree and making beautiful, symmetrical, impermanent art, um, which I eventually started to call morning altars, partially because they were happening in the morning on these dog walks and partially because they were altars. They weren't just like, art they actually became things that I dedicated to my dad to my ex eventually I just started to dedicate them to like friends getting married a friend losing their job um, someone going through like a massive um, illness and they became like the best part of my day you know like sitting under this one tree just like letting my mind go, my worries go, letting myself just be creative. And, um, and then people around the world just started to send me pieces that they made for their own reasons. You know, someone, I remember this woman in England, it was like her, ten, her mother's 10 year anniversary of, of, of her death. She didn't know what to do. She was sitting in her kid's parking lot, just flipping through Instagram, feeling bad about herself. And then she came across my work and it inspired her to get out of her car and to go into the um, forest behind her kids school and to just like do the the practice that I do, which is collect things and sit down and make something beautiful and let it go. And she's, she wrote me and she said it was the first time in 10 years that she felt like she was connected to her mom, which was like, you know, getting stuff like that is just incredibly powerful. Um, And now I teach this around the world and I I actually teach the biggest thing I'm doing right now is I'm teaching teachers how to do this and to bring this practice back into their communities and their families and their businesses. Um, It's amazing how something that changed my life that was very personal, very personal, very private, um, became something that is now impacting tens of thousands of people around the world. And um, I like to call this practice like a Trojan horse practice, because it's like, you know, it's like how how much impact making something out of leaves bring, you know? And it's enormous. It changed my life and it's changing thousands of people's lives. I just, by the way, did a workshop yesterday in Monterey, California, for an organization that takes care of children with, um, with illnesses and cancer. And I just led a workshop for nurses and palliative care professionals and therapists teaching them how to do this practice to not only support their own work and their, you know, their health as service people, service providers, but also to support the families and the children who are really struggling and they need ways to like move their grief. Yeah. So I'm very very, you know, like I'm in a career that's taken me it feels often very vulnerable to be in this kind of career. It's not like I'm a doctor or a lawyer, you know, I'm an artist and a ritualist and a teacher making and teaching people how to make things that don't last. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's amazing and vulnerable and exciting and creative and all of the things. So anyway, that's a little introduction (laughs) to my work.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And I, I mean, there's a few layers Packed in here, where it's you're not only taking time to create, to be present, but you're in nature. You're using your hands. You're working with art and beauty, and so all these combined
0: and impermanence and
1: impermanence. They have yeah. such a each one of those individually has such a healing aspect, and you're combining them all. But I think the coolest thing about this work is that you weren't it sounds to me that you weren't like i'm going to create this so that i can heal it sounds to me that you just were drawn to it in your sorrow you found that it was helping you feel better and you went through that sort of process to then discover whoa the healing benefits because i think sometimes we um, do practices, rituals for the end result and we forget that it's um, it's a process that we have to trust.
0: This entire practice, everything that I teach, everything that I do and everything I teach is is journey oriented. It's not it's not goal oriented. Um, in my first book, I coined a phrase destination addiction. You know, this is like, this is kind of how I hear you naming it right now is like trying to get there. Like I'm doing something to get to the thing. Right. And that's not at all a, how this started at all. And also this is not the, the, this practice actually is the complete opposite. This practice is all about getting lost. It's all about discovery. It's all about exploration. It's all about wonder it has, it is not interested in getting there or getting the healing or getting the perfect thing, or it's all process-based. And to me, that is really at the heart and soul of nature and at the heart and soul of creativity and at the heart and soul of mindfulness, they're all process-based experiences. They're not about any there there.
1: Mm, Yeah. And I think when we have the, um, mentality of i'm doing this to heal x y and z it's like counter intuitive totally. so thank you for that um reminder and i kind of want to shift the conversation into what's going on with you is there anything that you've been like <laughs> navigating i mean you you seem to have such um you know a grounded clear perspective on life but I you're human too
0: (laughs) very human
1: sure you've got stuff that you're navigating
0: yeah it's funny it's like I don't know how you feel but all of the things that I'm drawn to um for instance like thresholds interstitial realms like meaning the in-between spaces transitions change like if you look at the last I don't know, 15 years of my life career wise, like I'm drawn to like helping people navigate change. I mean, the freaking subtitle of my most recent book, Hello, Goodbye, the subtitle is 75 Rituals, um, 75 Rituals for Times of Loss, Celebration and Change, right? Like I'm looking to plant myself at this doorway of goodbye and hello, like that, that space, that in-between space and yet <laughs> it's like so brutal to be there for me you know because it's like that's the space i'm the most attracted to but it's also the space that like has the most to teach me and undoes me the most and sometimes i'm just craving stability and not change you know and so there's that that tension in my life
1: You are in some ways an expert on navigating change, yet you still come across the inevitable suffering that comes with change. Yeah. Is that true? Do you think all change, good or bad, involves some level of suffering?
0: No, I think all change, good or bad, involves some level of surrender. Um, And the suffering comes through the resistance, and there are times where I am in full resistance. And then there are times where I'm fully surrendered. And then there are times where like I oscillate between the two and there are times I don't know what the fuck's going on. And, you know, so it's like the image when you said that was, Oh, oh I got an image of like surfing on a wave, you know, and it's not, it's not like there's suffering in that. Sure. There could be, there could be, you know, I've gotten hurt while, while surfing um but a lot of the time it's just about like what is my posture and relationship with this moment and when surfing or for me I'm more of a skier you know but even skiing it's just like it's the, every moment is changed that's what makes it exciting um but there's real consequences sometimes you know and you can really hurt yourself and it's really risky but that's what makes it thrilling And so, you know, I think that just to position like what the conversation we're talking about in terms of a bigger conversation, like the culture and society that I and you live in is totally terrified of change, um, raises its people to be in denial of change. And we don't train or give our children the skill sets to properly navigate it. Right. So the whole culture that we're in, how I grew up is all about like security and safety and permanence and all of these spells. Um, And so it takes a lot to shift out of that and to recognize that life is the only consistent is change. And that the only way to get good at it is to stop denying it when it's here. And to welcome it and ride it and see what happens. And even, and this is the part that like I'm committed my li- I commit my life to, um, praise it,
1: hmm.
0: like to actually, to actually make beauty and meaning in the midst of change. That's the hardest. And, and I think the most important part.
1: Hmm. hmm. Yeah. And what, um, what change are you currently navigating?
0: <laughs> what change am I not navigating? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I just moved into a new home two weeks ago. Hmm. Big change. Okay. So just to like put that, it's not even moving into a new home, that's the big change. I have been on the road without a without my own home for five years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I have not, I, before this, before two weeks ago, I had not seen my things, which were in storage for five years, half a decade.
1: And is this pandemic related?
0: Um, Everything's pandemic related in a way, but no, five years ago, my first book was published. I was like, I, I, I am good at letting myself follow whims I would even consider myself sometimes whimsical. <laughs> um, so I let myself just like, oh, this book wants to come out into the world. I need to go on a book tour. At the same time, my the house I was living in, in the East Bay in California, in the Bay Area was being sold. And so I said, oh, there's an opportunity here. I'm gonna put my things in storage and I'm gonna go on the road with this book and see where it takes me, right? Employing the practice that I practice about like wandering but like in my life, not just like for an hour, like let's just wander for a bit. And the road took me for two years. I was in a new city every five days for two years. Um, And then about two years in, I was like, I want to write another book and I want to go on a book. I want to go on a writing retreat. I love this island in British Columbia called Salt Spring Island. I'm going to go up there and do like a couple months of writing. And then I got there for the first time like like Airbnb to house and was not moving like every 5 days like I was there for a couple months and then the pandemic hit the borders closed and what started as a couple month writing retreat became two years mm. um living in a tiny home on the edge of the ocean not my place um, having an amazing experience, but like so much to navigate with the pandemic. And um, and then basically finished the book and crossed the border back into the States on the same exact day. And yeah. And then tried living in, last year tried living in Portland, in Los Angeles. That didn't particularly, I didn't feel called to that. And then um and then I moved to, I'm in Sebastopol right now. And um, and yeah, and I'm like making home and leading a completely different lifestyle.
1: Mm. It's yeah, you're, the big change actually is more stability.
0: More stability, more regularity, um, friends stopping by, you know, community, um, Speaking of, there's one stopping by right now who's <laughs> about to like <laughs> knock on the door. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, more, and the thing that's like the most, um, you know, like the thing that's the most, I'd say emotional is um, encountering myself from five years ago. Um, that's that, that part surprised me and is the, um, I think the thing I'm struggling with in the, in the transition the most, um,
1: and are there feelings of like nostalgia?
0: No, it's an, it's a, it's a different kind of, um, I don't know if I would call it pain. It's a different kind of, um, it's a It's a different feeling. let me try and describe it. I just wrote about it. Let me try and describe it and see if I can get to the right word, which is um my things have been away from me for five years. I have changed a lot in five years, as you can imagine as I'm sure you have and the people listening have you know it's a, it's a It's a substantial amount of time, and I've been reunited with the things that I identify as me like furniture and clothing and jewelry and all the things that like were my taste and what I liked and how I saw myself and all of these things. And then I'm reunited with them. And then the thing that's coming up is I don't feel connected to that me. You know, I'm not that person anymore. I don't want these things. Um, I don't want to be surrounded by the person that I was five years ago. I want to be surrounded by the person that I am today. So how do I let go of these things without judging them as bad or like wrong or, you know, judging the person that liked those things? Like, even though I don't relate to them right now, like, how do I love my five-year-old person, not five-year-old, but five years ago person? How do I love him and love his taste and love his choices and love the, the, the different ways that he expressed himself. Also while remembering that I am different, I'm a different person and I have different tastes and I have different desires and I have different ways of expressing myself now. And they both need to live in harmony with each other. Um, and that's the part that I'm, that's one of the top things I'm struggling with, um, is how to create enough space to like love and welcome and receive that person that I haven't encountered in five years, um, without, and without demonizing him. And also with like deeply respecting my own need for, new beginnings and new expressions and a new home that represents the new person that I am.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's ever changing. So in the next Definitely. 5 years, but that's um a unique situation to be in where you haven't seen your belongings in 5 years. It's almost I don't know. It kind of reminds me of like if a loved one passed away and you just like, haven't been ready to look at the stuff, haven't been ready to look at the stuff five years later, you're like, okay, I'm going to open this box. And of course it's, it's, the grieving is obviously different, but it's this, whoa.
0: It also, it's comparable to like, not like having a, an ex who you haven't seen in five years and then you like run into them and you're like, oh i'm encountering the person that i was in this relationship like i'm feeling those feelings right i haven't seen you in five years but i'm feeling these weird feelings that i haven't felt in five years but i'm not that same person but i'm still feeling these feelings right it's confusing because like you've changed but you're in the presence of something that looks the same You know, I don't know if you've been to like a high school reunion or something like that, but it's kind of similar.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can relate, Um, especially I moved uh, out of New York City about two years ago. Um, And of course, I was recently back there like last week. Lots of similar emotions and. I'm curious in these moments of, yeah, more difficult, more uncomfortable emotions that are rising and you're met with this previous version of you being mirrored back. Um, what do you do? Do you just let those emotions rise and observe in that classic take of mindfulness just understanding that you are not your thoughts you're not your emotions Let it pass. do you have a ritual for this yeah i was about
0: to say like i'm a ritualist so you know to me there's something to be said about them about proceeding with mindfulness that's very helpful but when it comes to life transitions big or small um i put my stake in the ground with ritual because that's like that is where a lot of meaning is made and understanding happens and emotion can be expressed and witnessing. And so the, the thing that I am realizing that I need to do is I need to invite my friends over um, and I need to do a big giveaway of my things. Um, and part of the, the party is gonna be like everyone's sitting around and I'm literally gonna either gift people directly or they can take what they want from like a pile of things. But I have, the, the, the caveat is I need to tell my story. I need to tell the story of these things. I need to tell the story of who I was. I need to tell the story of where I've been. Um, I need to be witnessed as someone who's changed. If you, if I don't, if that doesn't happen, I'm always gonna have this tension internally between like fighting, you know, here's a good example, by the way, like this has happened to me a lot where like, I have gone, it doesn't happen anymore. Cause my father's dead and my mother is actually has mid-stage dementia. So like that, this doesn't happen now, but it, it has happened in the past where like, I would go home for like a holiday and my bedroom would like still kind of look like it did when I was a kid. And my parents would kind of still treat me like i was a kid and there would be this tension in the house always between like that's not who i am this is who i am and like kind of like falling back or being treated like who i was and i'm sure a lot of people can relate to that right and there's something about returning from something either college or travels or or a war even coming back home and being witnessed by people that care about you that you've changed. Right? There's something psychological that happens with a with being witnessed as like you're not you, like the like your friends or community are basically like you're not we see you, you're a different person, you're not the same person.
1: We see you. I think that is the key. We see you as you are now. Yeah that witness yeah Yeah.
0: and there's like a lot of data by the way around you know i mean you can you can do a deep dive around for instance like in in this country like the vietnam war people soldiers came back from the war and like no one treated them different yet they had this like huge experience across the world and lost friends and like lost, lost body parts and had ptsd and like and they came back home and everyone was just like didn't see them as any, has anything's changed and that causes a lot of mental illness. And we need each other. We need to witness each other. We need to witness each other when we especially when we go through changes. So I need my friends to gather around me and hear my story. I have not been here in 5 years. You know, like I've been I've been in so many places. I've had so many experiences. I wasn't even gray when I left. <laughs> That's really. so
1: funny. So you're going to have a party. You're going to bring your friends over. You're going to gift your the stuff that you don't want anymore and tell your story. Your friends are going to witness the change yeah. and see you as you are now. And that's your ritual. Absolutely. That's so cool.
0: Yeah. Very simple. Very doable. Everyone walks out of there with something meaningful physically, right? They're like carrying my my goodies my like treasures away and it's even more meaningful because like now they know the story of it and like now they have it right so it's like not that they bought it in the store they're like getting like gifted by things that have meant something to me and then I don't have to hold them anymore it doesn't have to be like I don't need to surround myself with like all these things that like meant something to, to me like years ago, they get to move into the world and become like important to other people. And also like what's super helpful in that is, is the witnessing part, right? Is like people actually get to witness and they get to witness my story and they get to witness like what I'm struggling with in the same way that like talking to you right now is really helpful, you know, like, When we go through major changes in our lives, if we do it in silence, it can really fuck us up. If we do it alone, it can really mess us up. We need, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, everyone's ancestors would go through massive changes and be witnessed by the village or by communities. And suddenly we're in this time that's super isolating and we're going through these massive changes, but we're trying to do it alone. And that's where a lot of mental illness happens. So much of the time, we just need to be heard, you know, and yeah, and witnessed.
1: Yeah, and I think nowadays the most common way to kind of feel like you're being witnessed is like social media, right? And Instagram, right? And that just doesn't have the same no. energy behind it.
0: Not only that, it's like it doesn't have the same energy. But I, you know, I post a lot. I, I. I'm doing my best to post on social media from a profoundly vulnerable place, because that is the kind of messaging I wanna put into the world. Um, And it's scary sometimes. Like I just put out a post on Friday that was talking all about the pain of being single and childless. In a community, my, most of my friends here have kids and are coupled and how much like the entire community and day to day like circles around the children and you know I was just trying to express my pain and my and my desire to not be invisibilized as a single um, childless person. You know, where like the whole culture rewards children and families, right? So I'm trying to put out posts on social media that are quite vulnerable um, and be witnessed. But the, the issue is, as you were saying, is that like the kind of witnessing is not, it's more like people can relate to what I'm saying, but like for me to actually be witnessed in my pain, I need people, I need to see you. I need to like touch you. I need to be able to cry in front of you, and for you, and like for you possibly to like start to well up too, because you can relate to what I'm saying. Like that is the kind of witnessing that we all need. That is just not it's not it's not possible, and it's also not appropriate for social media. And then on top of that, social media has just become a place where people, a lot of people, are posting kind of kind of like ideal lifestyles and ideal you know situations and like like i'm on my game i'm at the top of things i'm crushing it it's like this is what you know and there's not a lot of space for just like i'm hurting or that failed or i don't know what to do i'm really confused and and you know and so it's it's not that safe of a place For those real hard, honest conversations that like we all need to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like I I totally understand you where you need to be witnessed face to face in that way with these, you know, more challenging emotions and give the other people also the opportunity to relate. Um so that's beautiful. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna really think about a ritual that I can do and uh, for a similar sense where I'm going, you know, back to the U S again this summer, seeing a lot of people I haven't seen in three years. And yeah.
0: What do you want? Like, what do you want from those exchanges?
1: I guess there's a part of me that wants to just slip right back into the way things used to be, but I understand That that's not reality. <laughs> I can't, if I try yeah. to slip right back into that, um, it's it's really not productive. I don't think it's going to be really super enjoyable or authentic. And so it's actually what you said is to be seen as I am in that moment, the changed mm-hmm. version of me and mm-hmm. uh, and to see also the changed version of all these other beautiful friends that I haven't seen in years. hmm
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like riffing off of my story, the, the thing that is so easy and so accessible and such like a conversation starter and can be ritualistic at the same time is, is a gift. And sometimes I, you know, if I'm meeting up with someone I haven't seen in a while, like I'll bring a little gift that is a, like a launching point for a conversation right? Like it'll be a gift from someplace I've been and then I'll give it. And like, because it's a gift, there's like so much receptivity and like gratitude that comes with it. But there's also an opening for a story. And what I love about that is that the story can be a reflection of the change. It can be an opportunity to like share, like, look, this is like what I've been through. This is how I've changed. This is where I've been. This came from that place. And like, you know, it's a, it's a real kind of like undercover way of being seen and witnessed by being generous. So, you know, I don't know if I were in your shoes, I would like buy some gifts from the place that I am, that from the place that I'm living and the person that I am, and then bring it back to like the place that I've been and the people that were you know, everyday people to me and like gift them.
1: Hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely will. And from um circling back to this overarching um theme of navigating change and transitions, just to kind of close out this conversation, um, I'm sure anybody who's, you know, made it to the end of the episode can relate to some extent about how hard change and transition can be. And if you could just sum up the maybe three, three of the things that work for you the most when navigating this change and transition, little three tips for anyone who can relate.
0: Sure. Yeah. Number one, rule number one is slow down. That's number one, don't try and get through it. Don't force yourself through it. Don't try and return back to normal, like honor and respect the interstitial, the the space of transition. If you try and rush through it, you're gonna get to the other side of it, but you're going to try and like, life is going to change, but you're still, you're still going to think you're, you haven't, and you're going to, the psyche is going to be very confused. So sl- number one is slow down and acknowledge something's happening. Rule number one. Okay. And that's hard to do. Like, you know, I just moved into a new home. Like the thing I want to do is like unpack and organize and get things done and sell things. And like, it's really hard to slow down and be like, oh shit, I'm in a totally new place. <laughs> you know, it's very, it feels vulnerable. So that's number one is slow down. Number two, and in slowing down it is kind of like number two, which is like acknowledge that something happened. Like something happened. I am not on the road anymore. I'm in a new home or like, I'm not working. I'm retired or, I'm no longer single, I'm in a relationship or my dad's no longer alive, he's dead or whatever it is. But the acknowledgement is really important and that can happen by yourself or with friends. Um, But just in some way to say out loud, something happened, something's changed, right? So slow down, number one, acknowledge, number two. And then number three is like, what I am committed my life to, which is to make it meaningful, to make the change mean something. Um, and that can look in a ten, that could look t- in 10,000 different ways. I have no idea what that looks to you know everyone, but for me, it's like, make the change mean something, um, have, lift it up, look at it, make it into something that matters um and to me the way to do that is through ritual and ceremony um and in ritual and ceremony we play a lot with symbolism and meaning and so um you know we i call it in my in my most recent book they're called symbolic actions so we you do something break something bury something rip something tear something burn something you know all of these things to symbolize what just happened right so like a, fr- a good friend of mine just got divorced or like two weeks to go and she knew she wanted to let go of do something meaningful to let go of of that marriage but like the divorce process by the way is like really intense and then there's lawyers and then there's documents and money and there's like a lot of shit that she's just trying to get through because I'm in her life, I'm just like advocating like, don't rush through this. You will be on the other side of this soon enough, but like you're in a very amazing spot where you're leaving a 20-year relationship. you have two kids, right? And you're going to be soon divorced and single and have a totally different life. But before you get there, what's happening? How does this feel? where are you? Like, what are you wish for? What are you scared of? What, Like, what do you not want to change? What do you want to change? Like big questions, right? Like dream into these questions. And then like, what could be the button, the symbolic action that like says, I'm no longer married to this person who, by the way, I introduced 20 years ago <laughs> to her. I introduced them 20 years ago, but like, Great, you're not married to him anymore. What do you wanna do? And she's like, I need to bury that ring. I'm like, great, great. Take that ring, I will witness you. She lives in New York, so like it was a FaceTime. And I was like in her backyard with her on FaceTime and I asked her these big questions and she's crying and she's a mess. And she's, you know, we're laughing and we're remembering 20 years ago when I introduced them and like, we're going through a whole thing. And then I just eventually was like, now's the time. And, it, and there was some like finality to that, you know, like this ring you've been wearing for 20 years, this ring you love, you have to let it go. You're no longer married to him anymore. And I'm witnessing you. I'm, and by the way, there's a great play on that word with witness. <clears throat> um, in my recent book, I quoted an author, by komalafe and he, he plays with the word, he calls it withness which is what I did with her, right? I stayed with her in her pain, in her tenderness, in her uncertainty, in her excitement, all the emotions. I stayed with her. I didn't hang up the phone. I didn't like pull back because it was uncomfortable. I didn't like overshare my experience. I just stayed with her. And eventually she took off the ring off her finger and she dug a hole with her hands and she buried it in the ground and she watered that hole with her tears right? She was crying. And I was like, are you ready to put it in the ground? She's like, yeah. And so she just took all the dirt and she like covered the ring up. And, you know, we've had a moment where we like paused again. And I told her I loved her. And I was like, I'm so excited for the person you're going to become, you know, and that was it. And it was by doing that ritual she did those three things i told you about she slowed down in the transition right she acknowledged something major was happening and then she did something to make that transition meaningful and she got witnessed by me and so like she, she she's carrying on with her life right now but like something in her soul she said feels settled about it whereas if she didn't do that i think she would still feel like un like that something happened, but like that, she wasn't being acknowledged for it. You know, we have wedding ceremonies, but we don't have divorce ceremonies. You know, we invite tons of our friends to our weddings, but do we invite those same friends to our divorces? No. So oftentimes these things happen like under the table or like in closed rooms. And then we're expected to like live our lives as if like nothing happened and something massive happened. So I tried to offer her just like, I'm her oldest friend. I tried to offer her just one person witnessing her and that was enough.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful story and a beautiful example. And I think in the midst of these more difficult changes, um, I'm sure it was sort of her instinct to avoid the pain and rush the process when you got in there and said, slow down and ask these questions. And it's rare to see a friend or a family member or a loved one step in in that way and so totally. you certainly inspired me and like what a great friend um
0: thank you yeah and like you know it doesn't have to be these also these massive you know life changes like to me i do a ritual every morning and every evening you know it's like i there could be like little touch-ins Um, You know, life is changing all the time. Sometimes it's these big, massive changes, but sometimes it's just like waking up or, you know, like, like going to bed or these like little things that happen. And the same thing can apply, like slow down, like you're waking up, slow down for a minute, right? Acknowledge something's happening. Like I was just sleeping. I'm about to start my day. And then do something symbolic that can like make it more meaningful. Um, when I was writing "Hello Goodbye," I I needed, and it was the it was like the heart of the pandemic. I needed like a touchstone every morning to just stay like sane. So in at night, I would take a pencil and on my coffee filter, I just wrote like a message to my morning self on it. Right. And then, so I woke up in the morning and then before I made coffee, I would just read that message on the, on the coffee filter. And I would just like take in a breath and just be like, thank you. (laughs) Like I needed to, I needed that. Like I needed a touchstone. I needed to remember that like, like there's something bigger than this shit show that's happening right now. And that was so simple. It took me like five seconds the night before, but it was so meaningful. It literally felt like my like yesterday self was looking out for me, you know?
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: So big and small moments.
1: Yeah. Well, that's gorgeous. Thank you for sharing that day. And I'm certainly going to put your book books in the show notes below and your website for people to contact you and I really appreciate you coming on and not only sharing your expertise, but sharing your own journey and your story right now.
0: Thank you. And I just want to say like, for anyone listening that's going through something that's going through like a hard change or even like a medium to hard change. um, I want you to know you're not alone and um and i think part of the the point of our conversation today to me is like not trying to put myself on a pedestal like i've mastered it um but in some ways just to be like i'm i get knocked down as much as you do and the practice is to stand back up and to somehow like cultivate some resilience and also make it meaningful, like make life more meaningful, even the shit that like sucks and that knocks you down. And that where you're like, I can't do it anymore. You know, that we have this amazing skill that's been around since the beginning of time as humans is to like make life matter and meaningful. Um, And we can do that. And so I want you to know listener (laughs) that you're not alone and I'm with you in being knocked down and I'm also with you in standing back up again
1: Mm. yeah the good the bad and the ugly make it all meaningful exactly awesome well thank you again and we um, will close out this episode the way we always do with a full deep breath in a complete breath out and have a lovely day. Thank you.